Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. My name is Dulta Daherty and in this podcast series, I will be speaking to investors, advisors, entrepreneurs and recruiters who are based all over the world and we'll be discussing how to set up, scale and operate a world-class recruitment company. Today's guest is not a recruiter and she doesn't do much work in the industry. However, I am lucky enough to have had her team work on some of our media. We are based down in Arundel in West Sussex and her company, her name's Jane Moat and her company is Beach to Beach and she is an absolute treasure of information of everything to do with media and marketing and we were lucky to get the chance to work with her. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview um, before setting up her own company, uh, Jane has had a seriously successful career with the BBC in radio, TV and in online works. Um, and we really got to grips with what it was like for her starting out and, um, you know, how she managed to advance her career and what ultimately led her to setting up by herself and helping young people locally get a start and what her real passions are for business and storytelling. Um, great guest and hope you guys enjoy it and have, we'll take something from it. A big shout out to our sponsors interview. I'm really grateful for the partnership that we have with Interview and for them letting me use their product in recompense for giving the odd shout out on the podcast here. Um, I get a lot of value out of their product so far. Um, as I'm speaking, I'm doing a lot of videos on their Hintro product, which means that I can send a video to my first LinkedIn connections they can watch the video and then I'll know who's watched it. And I'm trying to do a video for every scenario so my team can automate as much of the process as possible and get me calls with the best people out there that I need from a, a client and a candidate perspective. So I'm really enjoying this collaboration and I can't recommend it enough. Jane Moat. Is it Moat? It's Moat, like Moat. Very simple. Can I call you Jane Moe? Uh, no, but I drink it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you would. Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. And this will probably go out to a more general audience as well. So we're calling it the Recruiter Startup Podcast because that's what the existing platform is. But you know a lot, lots more about media than most people in the world. So that's why you're here today. Well, the world's a big place. I don't think I can call that, but certainly in my part of the world, I'm fairly yeah. knowledgeable. In my world. In your world. Yeah. <laughs> in this room. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? I would say I'm a storyteller. I've been a storyteller since I started work as a journalist mm. in newspapers. And then I went into the BBC and worked on radio and television mm. as a reporter and then a producer. And I've gone on to... To work in all sorts of different types of television and different media 
Um, but I think wh whatever you're doing, you're telling stories and um, I'm really interested in people and their stories. How do you tell a good story? By being honest, by being direct, by being people focused, in my view. And is there, you know, they say obviously needs a start, a middle and the end. Is there a way that you try and break that down or? Well, um, I say stories, um, sharing stories with people is, is as basic to human life and mm. happiness as sharing food with people. Yeah. And there are many recipes in the food world. I mean, you know, that's why there's so many successful books and so on. Yeah. So how you how you do your story, how you cut it up, how you shape it depends on who you're doing it for, yeah. um, what platform you're doing it for, yeah. um, what you're trying to achieve with it. So and the same story can be cooked in many different ways. So actually, I can't answer that with a yeah. simple answer because there is no secret formula there's lots of things that you learn over time yeah. um, and if it's a longer story you do have to have more structure to it absolutely and you you can decide whether you're teasing somebody in or whether you're hitting them between the eyeballs and yeah. you know it, it, there's so many different ways and I love the fact that we have so much choice in, in, in how to do that now in case you didn't notice I'm Irish and uh, storytelling is very much part of our culture from the time of the Shanachie and, exactly. and that where and it's just, I think it's a common thread with Irish people and how they communicate and when I go home this week I know that that's going to be a, a reoccurring thing of us rehearsing old stories and being in the pub and doing that do you, you come from a household of storytellers uh, my grand well all my half my family's Irish so my granddad was a Yorkshire miner but he was from Ireland you mm. know, his family's from Ireland and he did not stop telling stories. I mean, he, he could tell a story about anything. Yeah. He had an opinion on everything. Um, and in our family, we did a lot of after dinner, sitting around, talking about politics, life, whatever. You know, it, it was valued in our, yeah. in our lives, definitely. Did you have to be a good storyteller in your house to get the oxygen? As the youngest of four? Yeah, <laughs> it was always hard to get the yeah. oxygen in a in a in a big family. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't get your look in unless you find a way to tell your story. Yeah. So yeah, it's still very frustrating. Why did you become a journalist? I was nosy. Um, and, Are you still nosy? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and actually, um, I found I used to watch back in the day. You'll see my age now. I watched Michael Parkinson on TV. So, um, so, so and did I, uh, you know prime time viewing and all yeah. the rest of it and found out he was married to my mum's cousin no who was way. a Nolan actually so yeah Mary Nolan as it was then um, and I thought oh, I want to be like him yeah. so I found out he'd worked in newspapers and I applied to the Yorkshire Post not realising that not being from Yorkshire despite my family heritage yeah. would never get me a look in but I did start in newspapers because I thought it was good to have a foundation yeah. and know your craft before you start to you know you can't go straight to being on TV, um, you don't have much knowledge then. What makes uh, Parkinson so special? I think just his questions. He was so, so good at getting to the point of questions and without seeming to making it look effortless. Mm. So you didn't realize he was doing it. He obviously knew a lot. He was a good journalist. Yeah. And he is a good journalist. He hasn't died. He's still with us. So yeah, he is a good journalist. He had a wonderful rhythm to the way he asked questions and he was able to ask very personal questions without it seeing like he was overstepping the mark. Yeah, he didn't come over as offensive and he got things from people yeah. that other people didn't do. Yeah. You know, Muhammad Ali is the sort of most famous one, but you know, they people came back again and again yeah. to talk to him. I mean, you know, 
you could sit behind him in a, in a bar with him and have the same sort of conversation, yeah. I'm sure. I actually did meet him years later when I was working at the BBC in a bar at 2am in Pebble mm. Mill. And uh, yeah, I, don't, I think he was not in the mood to be talked to because he was like in his own world. But then I told him who my granddad was and that changed everything. Oh, wow. My granddad was one of four, four of his brothers were all counsellors and they all gave Michael stories back in the day. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it was a nice moment. That's amazing. Um, so let's jump into those days, the 90s, the hedonistic 90s. Were you a wild child back then? Uh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time ago, that. you can get away with oh it Oh my God, now, the though. things that you used to do though with the media, yeah. you know, you'd have three hour lunches and things like that. You just don't do that anymore. No. And it was it was pretty full on. I mean, it was more difficult when you were doing radio yeah. um, or you know having to be broadcasting because you, you couldn't slow your words. So. The alcohol went down at that yeah. time. <laughs> Some people managed to do both. I couldn't. Before we, we hit record, I, I was saying to you that I'm fascinated by the 90s. I love Oasis. I I feel every time I turn on, definitely, maybe I'm just brought back to this period of time that I just about missed because I'm 36. So Yeah, I've got like, 20 years on you. Yeah. So. so, but like it's the big breakfast, Oasis, all like the, the Labour Party, all, all of that stuff is, is really what I see when I see the 90s. What, 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 what comes to your mind? It's interesting. I found it quite a challenging time um, as a person who was working. Mm. Um, it was very chauvinistic. There were no women in management when I started. Never really? had been in newspapers or, or the BBC where I was. Um, you making uh, the tea and uh, I mean, my first, my first interview, I was told, you know, that not I didn't take the job for it was for a newspaper group and they said I expect you to to wear skirts um, and not trousers to work and you know you should be making the tea Wow. Uh, so it was normal and people were there were a lot of bullies in the workplace yeah. and uh, also in the Thatcher era with producer choice in the BBC and mm. John Burke coming in things got very very different for the BBC so it'd been this very sort of avuncular family place to work and yeah. suddenly we were putting a price on everything a cost on everything and you know some of it was worth doing but a lot of it was just dogmatic yeah. rather than pragmatic um, and and things changed quite a lot but luckily the change then started to be in favor of this isn't the right way to do things so yeah. I benefited from that because there was more training available for women yeah. particularly um, and that helped me enormously and what did you start at in the BBC um, I started on um, the news organisation desk, booking camera crews and uh, doing CFAX pages. And, CFAX. And I'd been working seven years as an investigative journalist in newspapers, so it was quite a come down, but I got wow. paid more. And I hung around on my days off and I learnt radio yeah. um, on the sideline. Yeah. And within three years, I was running BBC Wales Today, first woman, non-Welsh person, wow. running a, a daily news show. Let me jump into that, but let me jump back into the seven years investigative jur yeah. journalism that we just yeah <laughs> we just, we just <laughs> well what type of stuff are you investigating oh well when i was in wales i was um i was investigating the fact that miners had had their um redundancy and somebody had got hold of a list of all their redundancies and was ripping them off selling them cars which mm. didn't actually exist and i actually went on my own to germany mm. to to accost the person who was who was scamming them yeah which was quite scary no mobile phones in those days and i found myself in the middle of nowhere wondering you know in the, on the east german border um confronting a guy i'd spoken german to try to find his address pretended i was his girlfriend and all sorts so that was quite scary yeah and i did things like investigations to the horse meat trade 
tra- tracking um, oh. horses from the, the market in Tlanabubba, um that were going to be live exported illegally and all sorts of stories like that. So, oh, yeah. God. yeah. Um, and so you took a step down essentially in your career to move forward. Yeah, I've, I've done that a lot. And I think that's a really sensible thing to do because when, when you're not, when you go in at a lower level, people mm. don't quite look at you, so you get away with stuff, and mm. also you can observe them. So from a, a less elevated place in that newsroom, I was able to build relationships, observe things. Um, and Were you not as big a threat, maybe, to...? I don't think people knew quite who I was or what I was about to do. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do? Well, I, you know, I, I managed to be a radio reporter in a very short space of time. I was working when I um, was not paid, you know, on a day off. Um, and it happened to be the day Nelson Mandela was released, and they didn't really have any reporters, so I got to tell the story and read wow. the news of that, which was amazing. So, you know, never say that it's not worth working for nothing, because yeah. sometimes you just get the best opportunities. And and then I worked through the night on radio when the uh, Gulf War, first Gulf War started, and um, I, I would just happen to be the person last in the newsroom. Like there was something made me stay on, yeah. and... And I saw the CNN line come up, which was, you know, anti-aircraft gun fire heard over Baghdad. Yeah. And I stayed through the night and cut 60 tapes. And it was tape then. God, it's so funny, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I'd called my news editor. It took him a while to come in. And then I became the night editor for the whole war. Yeah. And so it's like putting yourself out gets you in a good position. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to be in it to win it. So, yeah. A news editor for a war. That's incredible. What? When, when I think about that, like, I think about the, the American media now and how it's not partisan. Oh, like well, you know, thankfully, so far in Britain on, on broadcast media, yeah. there are enough, there's enough regulation to not let that happen, although some could argue that listening to the BBC some days, you wonder if they're, they're paying attention to that. But legally, they, you know, we can't be partisan yeah. um, on broadcast media. But we can in newspapers, yeah. and I think what's happened to newspapers in this country is dreadful. Yeah. There's Do you feel so like the... little choice now of mm. independent journalism, and there's so little funding mechanism for it. So I'm part of the byline uh, movement, so the byline festivals in Sussex soon, and I've subscribed to their new newspaper, and mm. it's a it's a it's a whole organisation run through the Frontline Club as well in London, which is about independent journalism. And Did we, as a c- democracy, we have to value that. Yeah, and do you feel like the BBC? has still stayed strong throughout all no. the influences? Or? No, I think it's really difficult for the BBC because all its funding comes from government yeah. and whatever you try to do, it's very difficult not to be influenced by that. Yeah. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's been a very difficult time. And, you know, the cutbacks don't help because you have less people to, to you give less creativity to people, especially once you're in the 24-hour news mm. cycle. So it's an opportunity for those of us trying to place stories, of course. Yeah. Do you... Uh, do you trust any media out there right now? Uh, that's a really good question. I think Byline is probably the place I'd go to and um, some you know, independent bloggers and so on. But I think um, you know, even The Guardian, there, there were agendas in there as well. So I suppose you tend to follow yeah. journalists, you know, someone like Gary Young or Carol Cadwallader I'd, I'd listen to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I follow individuals too. Um, I'm not so sophisticated. So Joe Rogan is probably somebody that I would yeah. follow quite a lot. I, I, like I tie into his messages a lot. Um, but it's hard to... It's hard, like I, I couldn't watch mainstream media anymore. I can watch the BBC sort of at breakfast time. Yeah. And that's it. Like American journalism, like um, the American broadcasters are just... 
Well, I've just been judging for the Wickers. I'm, I'm a judge for Alan Wickers Foundation, mm. and we're doing the Audio Awards at the moment. I've been listening to some great stuff from PBS, yeah, you know, public service radio in America. So there is some good going on, and I think podcasts yeah. help with that as well. Yeah, do you listen to any podcasts? Not regularly, except for yours, of course. Yeah, of <laughs> she doesn't really. <laughs> I, well, actually, you do when you produce yes, them. Yes, I do, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you got the big job, BBC, reporting on the wars, all of that. What was next? Uh, well, I, I, I mean, I moved with the BBC to London and I set up the BBC's first tri-media newsroom, radio on TV, on radio online. It came from our marketeers yeah. and it was BBC London and that was just like you know the, the most amazing job I mean I'm reporting on the capital for the millennium and wow. you know it was it was great and I loved it but I didn't want to die with BBC on my tombstone so how many people were in the newsroom when you were doing that 200 in the team because we had a radio station online yeah. and everything and lots of freelancers on top of that so. is there a lot of rivalry between radio and TV within the BBC no what I did was they, they used to be very siloed and what I did was create one unified management team mm. and everyone had an equal seat at the table including online which was a baby in those days wow. one didn't understand that and I said every platform has its job and I did a Venn diagram yeah. and said you're handshaking between the stories where the overlaps are yeah. we're not trying to create stories that only work in the middle they have to be right for the media but you know everything has a weight and you can cycle audiences through things yeah. and audiences need different media for different moments in their day or their lives how long does an average news cycle last now with people's attention spans is it a 24-hour we're living At in? At best. Really? Yeah. yeah. And then it's on to the next. Yeah. What I think a lot of journalists miss is going back on stories. Yeah. So that you can get some and amazing follow-up. Yeah, right? follow-up is great. You know, leave it a year, go back, <laughs> see what's happening. It's yeah. amazing what you can find out. It's already built a relationship with the person that you're reporting on. Yeah, they say that with creating pieces of content as well, like blogs. So you put it out. If it goes well, you kind of go back to it a year later and you edit things that you think may be more topical to it, add it to it, and then it goes again. Totally. And it lives and lives and yeah. lives. Yeah, I don't think people should be afraid of reversioning, recutting, and so on. Yeah. So anyway, after the BBC, I, I, I took a side step or down step or whatever, yeah. so I went from, from having 200 plus people to six and running uh, the Community Channel, which is a charity television channel. I went on to comment for the BBC, so I didn't take a complete right. plunge. Um, and uh, I learned about TV management and after that I went into UK TV and became a commissioner and then I became uh, director of lifestyle and factual TV channels so I ran six TV channels there. Did you know the internet was going to be what it became? Uh, I had a sense that it would be enormous and we I did one of the first websites for the BBC when the London Mayor referendum came up the mistake I made was the URL was something like London ref mayor referendum or something yeah. which was very fixed in time and of course you've got to build your traffic over time this was way back yeah. um, but I I really liked the media because it was on demand and yeah. you know so people can choose what they're doing when they're doing it and it was a great place to have depth and breadth and different yeah. mixed media on within it so I love it I feel like it's all amalgamated into the one now properly. Like, so now uh, a podcast could be live streamed, could be videoed. So it becomes a version of a TV show, depending on where it goes. If it goes out to Netflix, if it goes out, like. Totally, but what you would be talking less about is websites. 
Yeah. You know, those were big back in the day. Now they're like, oh, right, okay, that's your brochure. That's your printed brochure of the past, isn't it? It's yeah. a place of record and it's an easy, something you've got to do, a little bit of a shop window. But mm. really, you're going to meet, meet people's um, expectations and get their hearts and minds going by your social media. I get nothing on my website. People check it out to just to make sure I'm not a complete blaggard. Yeah. And they're and then you know then they'll go oh your website's really nice and go oh, thanks, and then that's it. and then that's it. But the the funnel as as we'd say, uh, our sales funnel is social to call. Totally. And, and uh, you know a lot of companies now don't bother with websites. They go straight to Facebook. Yeah. Um, and depending on what you're doing, that's that can be fine. A lot of bad advice out there from marketers who try and sell you the funnel to get you to the website so you can buy the website so then you do the traffic you're almost double hitting your traffic to take it from social to a website to a call when you can just go straight from one to the next you need to think about who you're trying to get to and make it as easy as possible for them yeah so uh, the world of tv you're a commissioner what, what does that mean um basically uh you you create a strategy for each of the tv channels for for the content that you're looking for i, I compare it to being Rather than buying off the cloth, uh, off off the peg clothing, yeah. you're buying um, something from a tailor. So for your TV channel, you have a need yeah. for a program for 8 p.m. in this type of genre. Yeah. You go out to the independent film world and you say, right, we need program ideas. A commissioner gets those ideas in, helps to shape them, then they get made, and as they're being made, looks at how they are yeah. and makes sure that they actually turn out to be what the channel wants. You're the kingmaker. Uh, well, I'm the content maker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about kingmaker. I became actually in charge of channels after that, which was a bit more of the kingmaker role. Yeah. What, so you what get a tick. Involved? You get a tick on. You, you set the strategy for what you want. Yeah. You get a say in the commissioning, but you're also creating the whole atmosphere of the channel, the branding, the um, you know the, any uh, web or interactivity alongside it. The whole the whole thing is is what you're doing. So I ran you know a food channel, a home channel, a history channel. Um, have we got any, have you any like greatest hits that you helped to? Um, I, I mean, I love doing all the, the food stuff. You know, created a daily food show, um, Market Kitchen, with all the big names, you know, in food, mm. Rachel Allen from your part of the world. Um, and, you know, I've met all, all the, the big names in food. But I suppose my amaz most amazing swan song at, at UKTV was, I was, one of my channels was called Eden, which is mainly natural history content. Mm. And it was David Attenborough's, 85th birthday and we did a big multimedia project around his best moments mm. and uh, I live produced um, his interview with Ben Fogel at the Natural History Museum with 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 interactivity coming in alongside it and then created it into a, a TV program that yeah. went out on the channel so I got to spend the day with him I mean I'd spent a bit yeah. of time with him before um, but that was pretty special. How far removed did you get from the day-to-day yeah. I mean, it's very unusual for me to be in the front line again, yeah. but it got to a point there seemed to be 20 people in the gallery and no one had any, you know, live broadcast experience. Okay. And I did news for years, so I'm used to being in a live gallery. So I said, I'm not paying for another person, I'll do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> and that was why I did that. But um, I, I always got involved in, the, in the, the editing, you know, just having a look at stuff. I could always make very constructive comments on things because I'd made programming myself, so... Um, but obviously, as you go up in an organisation, a lot of your time is spent on people management yeah. and budgets and commercial return and all that sort of stuff. How are you at people management? 
I think I'm pretty good. Um, I'm, I've invested a lot in myself on that. You know, the BBC helped. You know, yeah. they sent us on Ashridge leadership courses and so on. Um, but I always think that leadership is is about um, inspiring people and about setting them good goals and targets, getting them to know where they're going yeah. and being fair. The leaders that I find the most confusing are ones who want to be your friends. And yeah. I think there's a lot of mixing in the workplace of, you know, I just want to be your buddy. And people don't need their, their leader to be a buddy. Yeah. It's nice if you get on and it's nice if you, you like each other, but it's not the essential. The most important thing is to give people a fair time at work and, and know that they can get the best out of themselves in that environment. Yeah, could jump into that a bit more, but are we at a point when you decided to go out on your own and set up your own business? Almost. I, I left UK TV to run Al Gore's TV channel, Current TV, which is a documentary <laughs> channel. Yeah. I had to fly to San Francisco for a day for the wow. interview. Have you met him? Uh, I have, yes. He came and spent a day with us in London. And um, he's been proven right on his on climate change. On climate change. He certainly has. Um, so yeah, it was it was a great more than right. It was it, yeah, yeah, it was a great opportunity, um, and it, it freed me up um, creatively. So how charming is he? How charismatic is he in real life? Totally, and I was really surprised because he came to spend a day with us to do workshops with the team mm. and to help develop what we were doing. And I thought he's not really going to stay the day. You know, he'll yeah. he'll disappear at one point. He stayed the day, wow. and he took real interest in people, and he had lots to drink in in the bar. Afterwards. Is he super smart? Yeah, yeah. He comes real, across super smart. Yeah. He's a real people person, but he also knows a lot of stuff. So yeah. and he's passionate. And he was able to get into the detail with you in your exactly, world. Exactly, exactly. He asked pretty the right impressive. questions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was great. It was a great opportunity. Unfortunately, he then had a bit of a bust up with the uh, Murdochs over funding the channel, and uh, that's the end of that. So, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, and then that's when I set up my own business. And yeah. to be honest, I'd been commuting to London so much from Sussex yeah. um, and uh, I thought really I need to plant a pole and say this is where I'm gonna stay and so I do a bit more work in Sussex that's how yeah. Beach to Beach happened. How, how long has Beach to Beach been running and what does it do? It's been running about seven years um, and it started off with really being a front for my consultancy work um, but in the last two and a half years we've mm. grown it into a video production um, company so we're making content yeah. for small and large businesses alike um, yeah. from our little base here in Arundel. Yeah. And what what's your journey been like? Was it a couple of key accounts to get you going? And from then, your passion kind of filtered out to maybe a bit more local work? Yeah. When, uh, when I started, it's a bit gut-wrenching, isn't it, when you start something and you think, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work. And I sort of like, I created a story for myself. I mean, genuinely, I... I helped set up the smalls.com, but I, I wasn't paid, you know, yeah. it was just like, it was in-kind work, but that was my story. So I, I was very busy, obviously, I had lots of projects. I, I do quite a lot of work in, in in Uganda, I've been doing training there, so I was talking about that. So I made myself sound very busy, but then I, out of the blue, I got a phone call from BBC Worldwide and somebody I knew there wanted me to come in, be an interim manager for their global channels. And then almost the same day, I got a call from Discovery asking if I could go and sort out their channels in Northeast Europe based in Moscow. And weirdly, I managed to do both at the same time. So wow. yeah, and after that, it didn't stop, so. Was that really, did that make the job even more interesting? Oh yeah, it meant like, I mean, I love the international aspect yeah. of what I then did. Just go in and punch people it. in the face in one place yeah, and then go like, into the next. I do like doing the sort of red adair of, of media where you, you get parachuted in, yeah. you look at what's going on and you yeah. sort it. 
I like sorting things, so it's really it's really satisfying. I'm a fixer, but I really pride myself on on leaving behind um, the skill set for people to continue to be sustainable. Yeah, they shouldn't rely on me. I should be creating something that yeah. that helps get them back on quite, track. Quite the opposite of a management consultant who oh, would yeah. who, who who would make sure you're still reliant so they can yeah. bill you per hour. Yeah, that's true. Forever. I'm probably wrong, aren't I? But yeah. I don't like doing that. I, yeah. I, I I don't get as much satisfaction because I actually like seeing people develop. But yeah. I I did do a lot of work at BBC London in diversity and people yeah. development as well. You don't strike me as somebody who's really in it for the money. No, you're right. If I was, I wouldn't be doing film production in Sussex. No. Um, because, you know, it isn't as, as most, profitable as consultancy. Because most people, their journey looks the opposite to, to what your, your your commercial one is. So they, they do a little bit of local stuff to, to land that big dream gig or two, uh, which you but you're, you're on the reverse. Well, I started in local because I worked on local papers. So I suppose I've, I've but I mean, sort of like... But I mean, you're working yeah, for yourself. Yeah, I love working for myself yeah. and I love the freedom of it. So... Um, I like variety, yeah. although sometimes it can be too much because you have so many things going on in your head. It's mm. like, oh God, how can I get that organised? Um, but I also wanted to create employment in this area and yeah. we're starting to do that. So that's exciting. Yeah, I like that nurturing and developing new people. And if you help businesses, they'll grow. Exactly. Walk me through this, right? So uh, a company is used to doing something the same way. In my industry, it's we make a thousand calls a day and or whatever the number is you know and there's a process that they followed but maybe now companies are starting to see that media can come in and do a lot of the business development stuff and the brand stuff that wasn't really there or the privy of small businesses before how do you how do you like structure that journey for the small businessman that doesn't know what he doesn't know when like what what like do they even expect half the stuff that you're going to come up with? And I I don't think so. I think it always starts a bit tentative. Or we'd like a film, and it's like okay, well that's yeah. the last thing we need to start talking about. Yeah. The first thing is what are you trying to say? Who are you? And yeah. I think one of the most important things, especially about small businesses, is people. It's people. You know, it's about trust. Yeah. About get, getting to know why you should choose this company over another company. And the biggest expense on a business is the people who work for it. Yeah. And the biggest differential or differentiator is, mm -hmm. is the people who work in it. And um, I think getting to know people is so much easier through social media and film and letting people go a bit, letting them, their personalities come yeah. out, letting them not be afraid of that. Yeah. Um, and, and I suppose some of it is a bit like a brand laundry, isn't it, to start with? Because you can't make content until you know what you're trying to say with your brand, what your special message is, and so on. And we all, as small businesses, need to, to do that regularly. Yeah. We need to regularly ask ourselves those questions and think, how am I articulating that? I found myself that before I could, like I, I'd always say to myself, I'd love to get a good Facebook ad out there. And I'm always like, oh, I need to get the website done before I do that. Probably need to get the branding redone. Need to I, and, and, and before I know it, I'm in a full strategic marketing yeah. zone before I've got to the piece of content. And, yeah. and I think that that makes it harder for us to work out, like, what do we do first? How do we go about it? How, how does a small business structure all of that? I mean, what you guys do is like, you just get on with it. You try things and you don't, you accept you're not going to be great at everything. Yeah. Some things will work, some things won't. But your learning from that is the most valuable thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then some things will just 
catch light. And it's, it, I suppose you don't want to bite off more than you can chew mm. as a small business. You don't want to go off in many directions at once. So I think try and think of one thing that you can do rather than the whole the whole wealth of it yeah. and, and get on and try that and then build, build the rest of it. Because just, I mean, it's like the novels that never get written yeah. because people have great ideas and talk a lot about them, but they don't actually put anything down in writing. Yeah. Um, you've got to start somewhere. And I think just getting started. And a lot of what's driven me in my different iterations is just learning. Yeah. Just be, you know, put yourself in a learning environment, create your own learning environment. And as a video production person, you have people working for you. Yeah. What, what does your client spread look like now compared to when you started? Well, you asked actually when, when I started, did I have, in, in video production, I, I talked about consultants, but in video production, the reason why I sort of made the move was mm. I was I was helping a language company to, to sort out its branding and reposition itself and in the end change its name yeah. from Eurotalk to Utalk. And, and I started making quite a lot of video for them. Yeah. And I thought, oh, beach to beach. I always said I wanted to have local people working for me. So yeah. I found Josh, who works for me now, um, through a friend of a friend. And, and he made a bit of a, some of the video, one of the videos with me. Yeah. And then another video. He was on. working in Tesco's before. Uh, he was Sainsbury's. Sainsbury's. Yeah. Um, Sorry. And, Sorry, Josh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was he was struggling to get a, a, you a know, start. A start. And in this part of the world, particularly West Sussex, it's not yeah. easy. Um, and also kit is expensive and yeah. so on. So he um, did some work with me and then the same company, I developed um, some work with them and we ended up getting onto Emirates, mm. um, doing in-flight learning videos on language learning. And, and basically we had, I think we made about 15 to start for them. And I thought, oh, that's quite good. So maybe I can give Josh a bit more work. Yeah. And that snowballed and in the end became over 200 videos. Um, which were really like quite intense pieces of work because they were all in different languages and, and quite a lot of template work and you know we did film all the intros and so on and they're on in flight now yeah um but that once that started to come in josh went three days mm. and now he's full time and then we, we we've had other big clients um uh, coming you in get, as a result you get a bigger i can tell by looking at you you get a bigger buzz giving a young person training and development than you do winning a big client yeah, I think it's much more exciting. Yeah. Do you yeah. envisage being able to get the business bigger so you can hire more young people? Yeah, we've got a, a regular uh, assistant camera person, as you know. Yeah, he was uh, great. Connor, yeah. and uh, I've just seen another guy who's been doing a bit of filming with Josh on a, on a music video, um, and he's already quite well set up, and so we're, we're going to try and do some collaborations soon. Mm. So, um, and it's interesting because what I suppose I can give people a lot of younger guys who've got better skills than me. I do do second camera still, like to try and get my hand in. But mm. um, I, what, what I've got in terms of experience is that understanding of how to produce things, how to get the story structured, because it's not just enough to just film something. You know yeah. how to, you need to make it into a story a lot of the time. So uh, that, that's what I can bring to the table. Yeah, and cash. Uh, yeah, nice <laughs> kit. <laughs> Um, I think that almost has us at our end point but if you could just give us some advice on any local businesses that are looking to win business and network and 
you know, get into the get into getting better content. What would you What would you say to them? I suppose I'd say let the guard down. Be yourselves. Be a bit honest. You know, don't be afraid of being honest about who you are. Be very personable and yeah. social. Social media is called social for a reason. Yeah. And the algorithms of social media totally favour doing video, they and do. actually live video is even more um, mm. uh, gets you even more points on the algorithm scores. So, you know, experiment, but experiment with safety get somebody in who knows what they're doing that I'm not just saying myself it, it not yeah. needn't be myself and we're also doing training for small companies in in smartphone filming so they can do a lot themselves on yeah. on their own equipment just get the sound and lighting right and if they do want to use you how can they find you beach to beach.com that's the beach trees in the beach trees. up on the downs and you yeah. can see the sea so so jump onto the website yeah oh the website yeah or the or the <laughs> Facebook or the Instagram we're, we're, we're everywhere we're everywhere well Jane yeah. thanks so much oh, it's been my pleasure